Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Song of Songs, the first chapter, verse 15, through the second chapter, verse 17. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in the shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She continues, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. This is the word of the Lord. It is given to us in love and is absolutely true. So, um... We are doing the Song of Songs, and I love the way that y'all did that. Um, Margie, my wife's here, and she said, but we should do that tonight, too. We should do a male and a female reading back and forth, because that's perfect the way that um, it gives you an insight into what this song is about. I, um, I came across, actually, my wife came across an article in Vogue magazine, if you know Vogue, and uh, it, it's, it, was, it was called, she doesn't read Vogue, but uh, this, this article was called, uh, Is Monogamy over. And uh, the subtitle was Inside of Love's Sharing Economy. Inside of Love's Sharing Economy. I had no idea about this. Um, it talks about consensual non-monogamy. And they make it sound very kind of like this thing that makes is very up, upright and uh, you know has a, a word a label to it now. They call it CNM. Um, but it starts with this, uh, this description of a couple uh, Megan and Marty uh, Batia, and they were college sweethearts, they're 30 years old, and uh, that one day they decided to bring Kyle Henry into their marriage. And uh, 
She said, quote, it was like reigniting teenage curiosity. It was like the movie Pleasantville, where everything came into technicolor. And it said in that article, I mean, it was really hard to read. I don't know if I would recommend you read it. It was very difficult for me to read it. Um, but 56% of Americans think that monogamy is not ideal. And 23% are already living in a non-monogamous way. So we're talking about polyamory here. And this is why I wanted to look at the Song of Songs. And I just told Todd, I don't think we realize like the, the sexual landscape of America, um, it's, it's just absolutely devastating to people. Um, it's creating massive heartache and, um, and brokenness. And, uh, and so in this, we have this incredibly countercultural story about sexuality that I don't think we in the South uh, often realize how countercultural it is. It's bizarre, okay, it's bizarre. Uh, the majority of societies in the world have not lived this way. Um, and so I want us to try to double down on it. We need to embrace our view that uh, is written right into this incredible book, The Song of Songs. Um, and in particular, in this passage, uh, I want to look at two things. Uh, and I think Todd was the one that pointed this out. <coughs> in verse 15, um, I believe it's, uh, he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. And the word is uh, friendship, ra'ah in Hebrew. Behold, you are beautiful, my friend. And then in response, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Um, that's the man. The first one was a female. That's the male. So she says, my friend. He says, uh, my lover. And this, ever since I, um, you know, fell in love with Margie and started dating, the idea that someone was your friend and your lover is actually strange. Because usually we have friend in this category, and then we have this kind of idea of this person that's almost like uh, distant or um, like high and exalted and unobtainable, the lover. And the thing about marriage, the Christian story of marriage, the Jewish story of marriage, is it brings these things together. And so the person that you're married to is both lover and friend. And so I want to look at those two things in this passage. First of all, friendship, which is the, uh, it is the essence of marriage is friendship. And, um, and this, this poem, we don't know for sure, nobody knows for sure exactly what's going on in this poem. So Todd and I have this take uh, based on a, I think actually Harrison uh, told us about this. It was a professor he had uh, that the first time I preached this, I preached this differently. But uh, he, Harrison and Todd convinced me this is actually, a, it's a linear story. Uh, it's a progression. There's two dreams in the middle that she has, but it is sequential and it leads to marriage. And it was written for Solomon. Uh, he didn't write it, uh, I don't think. Uh, he's actually not in it. She is imagining him as her lover, as King Solomon. These are like two teenage kids, the people who are talking. And it was written, Solomon loved romance, obviously, you know, as what later happened to him. Uh, he, this was before all the wives, but uh, he, he still would have these banquets, and he loved romance. And so he was, he, he was like, he told his uh, court composer, write me a song. Write me a song that's, that, that's involved with Yahweh. I want, I want romance and I want Yahweh. I want it together. So um, he was living in a day that was, uh, that was maybe not polyamorous, but uh, the, the ancient Near Eastern world focused on sex as something that was uh, basically about fertility. And the god, uh, the god of the Canaanites, Baal, uh, would copulate with Annette, the female god, uh, 
and they, that was kind of the, the fundamental, uh, for them, that was the great heart of sexuality, was these two gods copulating to make it rain, to bring fertility, to bring children. And so um, they kind of practiced ritual prostitution. And you can, you can see why a lot of the Israelites would, would move towards that. A lot of Israelites, uh, the men would, would gravitate towards the high places where they would practice this prostitution. And they would reenact the, uh, the copulation of Baal and Annette. And Solomon was like, no, that is not our story. That is not the story that we're going to write. In, in Israel, we're going to talk about Genesis 2.24. And Genesis 2.24, uh, you should write that down or memorize that. Uh, it's going to come up again and again in these sermons. But Genesis 2.24 is the biblical vision of sexuality and romance. And there is one from beginning to end. Okay, there is one. From beginning to end, uh, there is this thing that, that God told to Moses. Well, he told it to Adam first. But here's Genesis 2.24. Jesus quotes this twice, by the way, in Matthew and Mark. So anybody tells you that Jesus did not have a vision of sexuality, they're, they're lying to you. Uh, Genesis 2.24 says, You will leave father and mother, which was a big deal, that, that the, the, new, the new family was more important than your old family. That was not true in the ancient Near East. You will leave them, you will cleave to each other. That means covenant forever. So you're leaving your, your family of origin, cleaving to your spouse. The most important relationship in your life now, if you're married, is your spouse. More than your children. More than your children. And then you will become one flesh. And, uh, and therefore, you'll be naked and unashamed. That's all wrapped up in Genesis 2.24. That's the key text. Um, we call it the one flesh union a lot of times in uh, Reformed theology. One flesh union. And obviously, uh, it's, it's two different people uh, coming together in one flesh. Very different kinds of people. The gender diversity is important there. Two becoming one. Ish and Isha. Uh, that's the Hebrew for the man and the woman. Ish for the man, Isha for the woman. It's a beautiful story. Is there a better story out there? Why are we, uh, why are we sometimes reticent to share this story? This is a beautiful story. It's not the obvious story. It's not just common sense. It's a unique story. It's a Christian story. It's a Jewish story. And the Song of Songs is all about anticipating that story, about uh, imagining that story, longing for that story. It's the boy and the girl, um, and they are, waiting, they are waiting for this. And sex is the caboose, not the coal car. Okay, now a lot of us are not familiar with trains, but in trains, the coal car was the engine where the Coal was put into the furnace, and it would drive the steam engine. That's friendship. That's first. And then sex is the caboose. It comes along behind. It's a wonderful gift. Um, it all began uh, with God saying, it is not good for this man to be alone. I'm going to make a, a rescuer, not helper, not a good translation. I'm going to make a rescuer for him. I'm going to create another, not male, uh, somewhat like male, but not male, and that person, the, the not male, the Isha, she is going to rescue him from loneliness. Uh, God is, every, you would think God would say, well, I'm everything. He doesn't need anything. He's like, no, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him need something. And so he brings all the animals before Adam, and Adam's like, you know, no, the, the cat is definitely not going to work to take away my loneliness. The toucan, the wildebeest, they're not, the dog is not going to even work. It's like, none of these things are working to take away my loneliness. And so uh, then he brings, he puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib out, brings Eve before him, and, and Adam says, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's the first time any human being speaks in the Bible, and it's poetry. 
It's poetry. First time any human being speaks. And what he's saying is, uh, is she is so like me and so fascinatingly not like me. And on the way over here, um, my wife and I were talking about this song by Vampire Weekend. It just came to mind. Uh, Vampire Weekend is a band that is like incredibly clever lyrics. Uh, one of my favorite bands. And they have this song called We Go Together. And um, it's about a guy and a girl singing back and forth. And he says... We, together, we go together like pots and pans, surf and sand, bottles and cans. She says, we go together like lions and lambs. Oh, we go together. And then he says, we go together like Keats and Yeats, poets, bowls and plates, days and dates. And then she says, we stay together like these old states, the United States. It's how we go together. And so the idea is you have these very, very different two things uh, this gender diversity that are linked together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, ish and isha. And uh, you see these two young lovers like Adam and Eve flirting and talking to each other and abolishing loneliness by doing that. Uh, Behold, you are beautiful, verse 15. And she's like, no, you are beautiful. And uh, she says, I'm a lily of the valley. And then he says, no, you're a lily among brambles. So they're going back and forth, this playful banter. She says, the voice of my beloved. And then he says, my beloved speaks. So again, the con- it's, it's really almost more of a screenplay than a story, uh, these chapters. Um, it's a lot of conversation. That's the essence of romance, is a, is a friendship. Um, they cannot get enough metaphors. You're like a rose. Well, you're like an apple tree. You're a stag. No, you're a lily. You know, back and forth, these metaphors. Can you imagine... Uh, saying these things to someone that you're not incredibly deeply friends with uh, or having them said to you. I mean, this is intimacy at the deepest level. You don't just go around, you know, throwing these kind of images out to people. Um, You have to feel very psychologically safe to be able to speak this way to one another. Uh, With great delight, I sat in his shadow, verse 3. That means that she feels safe with him. He gives her protection. So they're having a rare and beautiful and amazing conversation where they're sharing poetry, which is very vulnerable, and the person you want to be with is the person you have the best conversations with. Okay, you don't want to be with someone where they're not the person you have the best conversations with. Um, I remember meeting my wife, uh, and uh, we were in London. We were uh, at this house that was called the Worrell House. It's a beautiful uh, Victorian home in Hampstead, and the staircase that goes from top to bottom massive British staircase that's open, and we would sit on that staircase and we would talk deep into the night about everything, about everything. And that was the basis um, of me beginning to like her. Now, she didn't like me, but that, was, that came later. But that was where I began to fall in love with her. And uh, we, we began with gossip about the different people in the house. You know, it always starts that way. Uh, but then we started talking about our childhood, uh, politics, massive. I was an atheist. She was a Christian. Huge debates about politics. I was a Democrat. She was a Republican religion, our favorite music, movies, holiday traditions. And for me, this friendship was just transforming the way that I saw myself, uh, completely transforming the way I saw myself. And the same thing goes for these two. Uh, One of my favorite things about this passage is the way that she is healed by uh, the words that he speaks to her. And he says, uh, you are beautiful, my love, in verse 15. And then she responds, Uh, Yes, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. And that's the way you want uh, two people who are in love to speak to one another. 
instead of putting each other down or saying something demeaning to each other, they, they build each other up. Her self-perception is, is radically altered from don't gaze at me because I'm dark. This is not in our passage. This is earlier. Uh, this is in chapter 1, verse 5. She says, don't gaze at me because I'm dark. But then that goes to I am dark but lovely because of his love for her. Um, she sees herself differently. And he is so uh, blown away by her desire for him. Uh, verse 10, my beloved said, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. So she, he is so uh, enamored and blown away by her desire for him that then he is emboldened to declare his love for her. Verse 13, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Which is not easy to do, this declaration of love. Um, so, friendship. Uh, that's the first part. Uh, I remember the first time uh, that Margie um, took me on a date. Um, she gave me some new cologne, uh, cool water cologne. She gave me a Christian mixtape. Never seen one of those before. I was like, who is Amy Grant? Who is Michael W. Smith? Uh, who is Stephen Curtis Chapman? What is this kind of music? This is crazy. She took me to the Olive Garden. Uh, she took me to Take Six concert, another Christian band, Take Six, great band. Um, and so the, the thing was, the one that I idolized was loving me like that, and it, I couldn't believe it. Um, it was like plugging my confidence into like a supercharger, and that's what friendship's supposed to do. Uh, and again, verse 15, behold, you are beautiful, my love, my friend. But that's only the first part. The, the second part is the romance. And this is what distinguishes, a obviously, uh, a dating relationship from just platonic friendship. Uh, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, uh, da'ad, lover. So um, obviously one of the main reasons that uh, romance is different from friendship is because romance is exclusive. It's exclusive. Rightly so. Okay, going back to polyamory, no. Uh, it, there is something about romance. That, again, this is a Jewish take on romance, but uh, 2.16, chapter 2, verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. We belong to each other. Um, we, we have a, a, a kind of a sense of ownership, not a, not a sick kind of possessive ownership, but a proper ownership, uh, where if they go on a date with somebody else, that's not okay. You know, there comes a certain point in a relationship where um, they, you go from talking, apparently, uh, young people talk about this, I didn't, this was not an art, you go from talking to now we're dating, and that, that shift is this kind of sense of it's not okay if the other person goes out on a date, that's not okay. So um, this guy has this amazing date that he has set up, um, and a certain kind of date, like this date, would signal a transition from friendship, from talking, into dating. Um, verse 11, chapter 2, the winter is past. This is relevant to our season right now. The flowers appear. It's April probably. Turtle doves are heard. The fig tree ripens. The vines are in blossom. It's springtime. It's a great time to create a date like this. The uh, setting is exquisite. Uh, verse 4, chapter 2, a banqueting house. It's literally a house of wine. And uh, her banner he wrote her name on a banner. This would not be like uh, paper. This would have been something that would have been much harder to write. Uh, and then her name is written. Wherever they're seated uh, at this banqueting house, he has written a banner with her name over it. Can you imagine that? Um, and then there's this, this banqueting house or wherever it is, uh, is it's kind of embedded in nature. Um, there's a place in Winston-Salem called Ryan's Steakhouse. And one of the things that I love about that, we go there 
like maybe once a year on a really important date. Uh, and it's kind of built into the trees. Uh, like you feel like you're in a tree house. It says our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are pine, verse 16, chapter 1. So that's the setting. Um, and within this setting, uh, she wants to be taken. She wants to be taken. Verse 5, chapter 2, I am sick with love. Um, she is, uh, she can't think of anything else. Uh, and everything in her, her body is right, rightly pushing her to the one flesh union. Chapter uh, 2, verse 6, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this is kind of like, she is in a place where she is, uh, she is ready to go all the way. And right before that, she stops. Right before that. And this is what our culture cannot figure out about why Christians do this. Um, if you watch any movie, this never happens. Okay, this is not going to happen in a movie. But she, um, in chapter 2, verse 7, she says, I, she not only stops, she tells all of her friends, uh, I adjure you, friends, do not stir up or awaken love until the proper time, until it pleases, until love is ready for it. That is repeated not only here, but in chapter 3, verse 5, and in chapter 8, verse 4. This is a central theme of the Song of Songs. There's a time for sex, and there's a time it's not good. It's not helpful. It's not appropriate. And not because sex is dirty, but because it's so sacred. It is deeply sacred, priceless. I think that's the way that Christian sexuality is most different from American sexuality, is it is sacred to us. It is something... Um, that is not to be entered into lightly. It's a, it's a deep covenantal bond. It bonds uh, the soul together. And, uh, and I noticed that she says, I swear by all that is romantic. Okay, so she's actually appealing to romance. She says, I swear by the gazelles and the does. They were thought to be animals of romance. Um, I swear by all that is romantic, do not go there. It will kill the romance. It will extinguish the mystery. Um, we watched this movie, About Time, which is a great movie. Amazing scene of these two people. It's in London. I love London. They're falling in love. They have this incredible conversation in a restaurant. Next thing you know, they're in her apartment, and they're sleeping together. I'm like, what is going on here? The, all that beauty in the first night they're together, and they're sleeping together. And she's like, no, 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 that's not the way. She, she would say, don't commit your body until you've committed your soul. And uh, she, she even compares it. Oh, actually, he does, uh, to little foxes um, chewing on vines, um, verse 15. Uh, catch the foxes that spoil the vineyards. So foxes are all the ways that romance gets killed by like a thousand little paper cuts. You know, all these little tiny ways that, uh, that we uh, can destroy romance. Uh, for instance, uh, conflicting expectations about what is going to happen that night. And, and if you enter into sexuality too soon with someone, it puts all this pressure on the relationship. Uh, desperation to know the other is still physically attractive. That also is going to kick in uh, more and more uh, if, if you move too quickly. And then, of course, the physical intimacy that outstrips the emotional vulnerability. So you're giving your body to someone and you have not actually shared your souls. There is not the naked and unashamed nature of it. And then, um, you know, this, I mean, I'm saying all this and uh, I'm, I am, I am a, a sinner in these ways, okay? I'm not coming before you as someone who is guiltless. Um, it's not like my wife and I were totally pure before uh, we got married. So there was, there was massive guilt for, for making mistakes. 
I mean, we didn't, we didn't go all the way, but you know, there, we, everyone makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. And the main point of the book, okay, in case you're feeling despair right now, the main point of the book is no matter how many sexual mistakes you've made, and no matter how much your marriage lacks intimacy, and no matter how bad you feel about your life without romance, perhaps, God says, God says, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. And I love the confession that y'all read, and I'm assuming that somebody wrote that knowing we were going to preach on this passage. But um, this is what transforms your self-image. Is not, I mean, it was powerful for Margie to speak to me, but when God spoke to me, when I became a Christian, that blew me away. Because that's the beautiful one telling me, uh, you are truly delightful, Ben Miller, to me. And uh, this is God, I mean, this whole poem is God glorying not just in your soul. I mean, we Christians go right to just thinking we're these immaterial beings. But this is God writing a poem and saying, I love the human body. I love your body. Uh, your cheeks, your hair, your neck. God just goes on and on about his masterpiece. I made you in my image, not just your soul, but your body. Every part of your body. He loves your legs, your eyes, your voice. It doesn't matter what the culture says. God made you, and he loves your body. He loves every part of you. And if you hate seeing yourself in a mirror, tell your inner critic, you know, go to hell. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you hate seeing yourself in a mirror, uh, God says, uh, let me see your face and hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And that is what the Almighty says to everyone, single, married, divorce. You know, when I fell in love with Margie, I began to see her for who she was. And I was in awe, awe of her face, her voice, her movements, her singing, her tennis, uh, her humor, everything. And they sometimes say that love blinds you to their faults, but love doesn't blind you. It makes you see the glory of a human being. That's what love does. It opens your eyes to the majesty of a human being. Going back to that original article in Vogue, uh, Megan Batia, she was the one that invited Kyle Henry into the marriage. She said, uh, quote, you know, one person cannot be everything for someone else just can't do it. One person can't be enough. And God says, no, I can be enough. I can be enough because my passion for you is so great that he says in James 4, 5, and I can't get over this verse. James 4, 5 says, God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you. He, he yearns two strong Greek words for longing for you. He yearns jealousy. The most beautiful person in the universe thinks you're amazing. And, you know, I mean, I was excited that that, that first date that my girlfriend was, was pursuing me like that. God says, I come leaping the mountains and bounding the hills to be with you. And this supper that we're about to receive is the foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb, where God will become one with us. So let me pray for us. Father, as we approach your table, let us be blown away that the most beautiful one uh, is absolutely smitten by us. And uh, it sounds almost cheesy to say that, but your word says it. It says it so clearly. There's something about us that just won't believe it. But it's true. And we pray that this table would convince us that it is true. In Jesus' name, amen.